Blue Wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Lean means touchdown throwing machine tonight, and he's got another one. Boyd. Welcome back to the Taj Boy Podcast. Today, I am joined by a pretty special guest, man, a guy who's been a huge mentor for me. He's been a success not only in sports, but in the community as well. And excited for you guys to hear his journey. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd love to keep you guys in gear. We got some pretty special guests coming this way as well. So lock in, get ready for this this conversation right here, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Here we go. All right, look, I'm joined here with the OG, man, the big homie, one of the first people I met when I came to Clemson, Woody Dantzler. Uh This guy's man, he's a special guy all the way around, uh, from his mentorship to what he did on the football field and, and how he's raising his family right now. So you know, I appreciate you spending some time with me this morning. We can go ahead and knock this out and uh, give some people some pretty solid wisdom for the day and for forever, because hopefully this podcast continues to build. So, Yes, sir. Mr. Boyd, I guess you haven't recorded that much, but... Man, I really appreciate this. I've been sitting, waiting for my call to sit down with you, but um, I'm I'm glad it's here. Timing is everything, so just looking forward to a good conversation. Well, you know, and I know you, but there are some people that are listening who are, are new to the space and, and new to, to what Clemson is, but mm-hmm. you know, you're from Orangeburg, yes. um, and I want you to tap into that a little bit, but really the, uh, the adversities, the challenges, the things that you saw growing up that kind of put you in position. Um, to where you're at right now and, and, and the comfort and the peace that you find on the day-to-day? Well, one thing, like you mentioned, I am from Orangeburg, South Carolina, born and raised. Uh, pretty interesting upbringing because I had always had a different mindset than most people. Right. So it kind of separated me from a lot of folks. It kept me out of a lot of trouble that I could have gotten in. But also now looking back on it, I – as a as a true follower of Jesus Christ, I've seen how God had his hand on my life even back then, you know, growing up on Crawford Street, on Stilton Street, where some of the most, well, I'm going to say most violent people, well, you see, you got a lot of drug activity and could have easily gone down that path. But it was just one of those things, for instance, you know, where I lived on Crawford Street, my house, where I sat right next door to me was the house where the individuals who sold the drugs lived uh, diagonally from my porch. That's where the rundown crack house was. That's where people, they go there to buy the drugs then they go across the street. That's where they use them. You know, that's why, and that's the area I grew up in. That's where we're playing football in the street, stick ball or whatever have you. All that's happening right there. Stick ball. Yeah. You don't know nothing about stick ball. (laughs) You don't know nothing about stick ball. You're too young. Stick ball, kickball, baseball, they all the same thing. (laughs) You don't have a bat, you use a stick. So, I mean, you just got to, we we yeah. you know kids don't get out they got they got that thing between their fingers when they press buttons and watch stuff on screen nowadays you know they don't go outside much but yeah that was my thing but you know I sat on the porch with these individuals we talked we were good friends but you know yes they were older than me but when they were really getting ready to go do something they would tell me you know what you can't go with me today yeah. you know you, you got we'll, we'll be back you going over there y'all go play so it was just one of those things you know God had His hand on me even back then well and. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was that they would tell you to stay out of those situations. So, so obviously, 
they do know right from wrong. Um, but I do think that sometimes people believe that, and we all got a choice. Yes. Don't get me wrong. You're right. But sometimes the circumstances are a little bit more strenuous mm-hmm. than it may be in some other areas of that space. So, you know, sometimes you don't feel like you got an option, even if you do. Exactly. Um, so what was it, you know, was it them? Was it your family? Did you have that faith as a child growing up? Or, you know, what was it that brought you out of that as opposed to staying in, in tune with that? Because there's a lot of guys who obviously end up on the flip side of that. Right. Well, I definitely had a strong family unit. You know, my mom and dad, even though when I got to, what was that? I believe it was middle school when my parents split. But still, you know, I mean, Orangeburg ain't but that big. So yeah. I, I would ride my bike from my mom's house to my dad's house, dad's house to my mom's house. Because when they first split, I stayed with my dad. But when I got to high school, I wouldn't live with my mom. But I could still ride my bike down to my dad's house. So it wasn't a big deal. And he was always there. And, you know, just being able to have that friend in my father who would talk me through things. And that was one of the things that I really hated. But I grew to love. My father never answered a question. If I would ask him a question about something, he would give me another question. <laughs> and, you know, and what I learned is what he did, what he did with that. He taught me how to think, right. how to think through situations, not just going. So now I'm learning how to that he's that he's he passed back in 2005. A lot of times when I get in situations, I can remember some of those questions that he asked me when I'm in a situation that'll push me through. But yeah, watching the strength of my mom, she actually worked in she worked at a wire processing plant for 30 plus years, third shift. So, you know, seeing her strength, never going out of meal. We weren't the richest people, but I. You couldn't tell it because everything that I need, I had, hmm. and then some other stuff too. So it was it was really good. Just my parents really being instrumental in my life and my uncles and different cousins. And then one thing that really helped me out because I've always been a high energy kid. Yeah. To so much, you know, one of my teachers in third grade, they told me they told my mom they need to give me black coffee yeah. to calm me down because one of the things I would <laughs> sit down, I would do my work, but then I'm up and say it was nothing for me to cut a flip in the classroom. I don't remember that, but that's a story that they keep telling. But when my dad introduced me to martial arts, that's what really began to, I really began to learn discipline and body control and understanding different things. And really discipline is what really stood. I started in martial arts and, you know, from there I got introduced to football and that kind of took me throughout the rest of the time. Well, man, and uh, I often, I, I was taking jujitsu for a little while. I've taken a little hiatus. <laughs> Uh, here the last month or so. But, you know, one of the things looking back on, if I could have got involved in something, it would have probably been martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to like this Chuck Norris studio for like two weeks, but I think the price point was outrageous for my parents, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but when I was, when I was, when I was taking those jujitsu classes, you know, it was, it was something pretty unique about it. And it was, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't necessarily know what it took or, or I knew everything that it entailed, but, I didn't know one thing, and it was that there was always an out, you know. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm pinned, and the coach will walk up to me and say, hey, look, you know, all you got to do is this right here mm-hmm. or X, Y, Z, and you can get out of it. So this is the thought process and the focus on that, realizing that you're never stuck in a right. situation mm-hmm. was the thing that stuck out to me, man. And, and I advise any kid, I'm, you know, I go talk to him now, I'm like, look, you know, get in some sort of martial arts. You can, you're going to do your sports, you know what I'm saying? But the mm-hmm. things that you gather from that, the information, the data that can roll forward in your life and the other sports, I mean, it's pretty much unprecedented. Yeah, because it's, it's really, really, it really enhances your mental capabilities yeah. as far as realizing 
what you're capable of, what you're capable of pushing through, what you can handle. I mean, it just because it's so much more mental than anything else. But so again, one of my to this day, the greatest athlete ever to live, in my opinion, is Bruce Lee. Because, I mean, the things he was able to do with his body, the things he just he did with his mind, you know, because he was a philosopher. That's what he studied in school. He was yeah. a thinker, a constant thinker, always looking to, for ways to push himself to the next level, never being satisfied. And it was just to watch him move and the things he do, the six inch punch, you know, the flexibility, the strength. I mean, he was about, you know, five, five, eight or so, right. you know, 130 something pounds. But the power in which he did things it was all a matter of how he thought through, figured out, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just amazing. It was just amazing. Very strategic in that. Yes. And yeah, you know, I remember I was doing this. Uh, I had this little sit down with, with Marcus, and somehow we started talking about you know reacting, right? Like the, reacting to any situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I started to really think about it when I got home, and I was like, "That's what we do. We react instead mm-hmm. of respond." Yes, that's you a know, big thing there. And you know, we'll sit there and make a rash decision um, instead of really sitting back, thinking strategically on how we can, mm-hmm. you know, one, either change this situation for what it is and respond to it or we can react to it to the point where, you know, it, it causes some sort of conflict or damage that could have been avoided mm-hmm. had we not really sat back, thought about it, reflected, and, and got advice or counsel from somebody, so... Right. It's just and and you you can you can even think about that from our football mm-hmm. background. When you think about the weeks in preparation going into the game, yeah. You're looking at the opponent, you're looking at the things that they do, you're looking at some of the things that you do, but then now you're also carving out scenarios. If they do this, then that. If they do this, a lot of people don't and this is something that I'm learning, I'm beginning to begin to start to implement myself. You know, having a plan for the day, having a plan for the week, having an actual plan. So I'm getting up in the morning. I'm taking a few moments to think through my day, think through certain scenarios, figure out, you know, what could happen. How can I how will I adjust if this happens? So now, as you mentioned, I'm not reacting to anything. Because A lot of time when you react, you're reacting wrongly and you probably regret it later. But when you respond, it means you're you're responding. You're actually Give, putting some thought behind how you're going to um, counter the situation. So that is huge. You know, planning is everything. And that's something that, I, that I'm growing in. That's an area that I'm growing in. And I and I would I advise a lot of people to do the same. Really take time, be intentional about what you're trying to do and how you're going to do it. And it makes the world a difference. Well, you know, and you say you were hyper as a child, you know, but I, I see you at this particular point, man. I run, I've said I run into you. Uh, more frequently than not and you know i see this this person that's reserved that's pretty laid back that's pretty calm and um you know we'll tap into some of the more prolific things that you accomplished in the sport of football but it was that was that learned did that just come with the maturation process for you or am i seeing it completely wrong no you're seeing it completely right (laughs) you know it's one of those things of um it, it was a learned process yeah you know i'm still I mean, to this day, I'm full of energy. Yeah. I just, it's one of those things that, you know, Bible talks about the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people sit there, you know, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you want to look at the word, the word meek, and simply the word meek means power under control. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I've learned over time how to control my energy, when yeah. to use it, when to um, keep it reserved and what have you. So it's just, it, like you meant, it is a learned process. For sure. And, you know, a lot of that, as I mentioned, it started with martial arts. 
Now, you went to Orangeburg Wilkinson? Yes, Orangeburg Wilkinson High. Now, one of the things that I really like to tap into, and really where I want this podcast to go, is more of a philosophical approach, more of a cultural mm-hmm. approach. And, you know, that particular space when you – I don't, I don't know the whole high school backstory, but I do know that you guys had a pretty good team. But mm-hmm. you know, could you explain to me who your coach was, what he meant to you, and the things that he taught you guys along the way that pretty much carried the same values that you learned from your parents as well? Oh, yeah. It was, they were, my coach, Coach Tommy Brown, uh, he was very instrumental in my upbringing. Um, he was like an extension of my father. And yeah. to this day, he's still that guy. You know who I have much, much respect for and much admiration for because some of the things that he did. You know, Orangeburg Wilkinson. You know, we're the only public school in Orangeburg, in, and and uh, we had a prep school, but that's where most of the, a lot of the white kids went. Uh, most it was predominantly black. Matter of fact, the joke going around was OW stood for one white because you know it was predominantly black, and a lot of times we, as far as equipment yeah. and jerseys and things like that you know he would go into his own pocket to purchase those things for us i mm-hmm. mean we didn't know it i found out later on but he would go and purchase those because the school just didn't have the budget to do so so um but then as you mentioned the life lessons that he taught us was instrumental he pushed us <clears throat> and i would say this when it came to conditioning i was never challenged as far as condition as I was at in high school. Yeah. When I got to high when I got to college, conditioning was easy. When I got to when I got to the league, conditioning was easy because of the foundation that he placed in us as far as pushing through and really focusing on making sure we're in the best condition of our lives. But I'll give one story of how he really reshaped reshaped um the way I thought about things. Um I think this was my junior year and a rumor started around school about me and it got back to me. Essentially it was, um, it was this young gentleman. He actually, we stayed on the same street. Yeah. Um, and he was a gay guy. And what he, the rumor had started was that he and I had been getting to know each other right. on a personal <laughs> level. So, and that was the rumor. And I, and me and my, my best friend, you know, got to me and we were talking about it and he was, he was kind of a live wire. I mean, he was, <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't help the fact that he was, you think about a six, six guy in high school with a Napoleon complex. For sure. That doesn't match. So, no, I so our thing was, you know, this guy talking, he's spreading these rumors about us, about me, about me. So now we, we ready to go physically correct him. Mm-hmm. And Somehow or another, I don't know, he, he just had a pulse on everything. And he, my my coach is the one who had a pulse on everything. He ended up asking me, I was in the locker room or whatever, he asked me about it. He said, what is it I'm hearing about um, around school? What's going on? And so, no, he said, what is it I'm hearing about you? And so I shared with him and even shared what we were planning to do. And he looked at me and he just asked me one question. He said, is it true? And I was like, no, you know, I'm all defensive. No, it's right, not right. true. And his response to me was, well, if it's not true, then why are you addressing it? He said, if you go out and you, you know, go put hands on this young man, then it's going to look like it's going to actually look like you got something to hide and you're trying to. So he said, just let it go and let it be. And I was like, you know what? 
that was right. So my my friend, he wasn't too all too keen on it, but he finally <laughs> agreed. He was like, "Okay, I won't do nothing." He said, "Well, you won't," because at first you're like, "If you ain't gonna do nothing, I'm gonna do that." I said, you're right, oh. right. So, but uh, we we quashed it, and then one day, you know, it's one of those things of, um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, again, God had His hand on everything, and just being able to, and I saw him out when I was coming home walking out. So he was outside, so I just called him. I just asked him a question. I said, "Hey, man, look," I said, "I want to," and I apologize. I said, "I want to apologize because." You know, we didn't, but we had planned, I planned to do this. I explained everything that I was going, me and my friend was going to do because of, I mean, he said, and you know what he said, he actually apologized himself because he actually didn't start the room, but he apologized because it was his friends right. who said something and somebody heard it. They were joking around. Right. Somebody heard it and that's how we got going. And he just said, I apologize for not stopping it or not letting mm -hmm. it. Cause he said, I just sat there and I didn't say anything. He said, I could have just, I yeah. could have said something. So that big misunderstanding and to be able to walk up to him first by yeah. my coach, um, giving me some wisdom, but then having the guts enough to walk up to him and apologize to him and then him apologizing to me. And I mean, it was all done and well. And we were, we were, we were decent acquaintance after that. So I mean, no big deal. So it's just one of those things of, responding instead yeah. of reacting because our reaction was would have been the absolute wrong thing so now we go put hands on him if we do it in school we suspend it for sure. possibly face charges right. and all that stuff so it had been a bad situation all the way around especially since i was playing ball at that time and it was doing fairly well you know it's going to hit the newspaper and the news and you know thank god social media wasn't what it was back then but still well you know and at that age man it's you know one one of the tougher parts is sometimes you do make a decision that you can't come back from. Yes. And the moment that you, if it's in your control and you let it get out of your hands, I mean, you know, the, that's where the accountability aspect comes in. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, a, I mean, that's not an easy lesson learned, you know, right. especially in high school. And, you know, I was fortunate, man, to play for a guy um, very similar to, to your coach. His name was Bill D. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you asked me about the team me thing, but that's, yeah. that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, I just, he passed away. So I just want, you know, his legacy to live on through that. And so I try to carry that with me, but, you know, he's one of those, those guys where, you know, he was, he was so critical, um, but he was so loving, you know, if, yeah. that, if that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. and so it was tough for me when I didn't get that in other places to the point where, I was like, I don't even know how much this guy really cares because he's never critical. He's never really prying into that. And that's that's a reason that I don't think that Willie Taggart would have worked at Florida State. And that's just right. another story. But you know, <laughs> I uh you know, so many times like we don't we don't have enough of that in our lives. And mm -hmm. you know, the the people we are some of the people that we're around, right? Yes. And we are also uh really just a, a compilation of the experiences that are shared. And, you know, that's the reason that this exists. That's the reason that I've always enjoyed your conversation, uh, your, your, your willingness to, to counsel me, uh, even when I first got here, you know, because most people, if they don't know if a guy's going to turn out to be a superstar or not, right. they're not willing to engage in conversation. And, and you mm -hmm. were. And it tells me a lot about you, obviously. But, you know, you get there, you start in a quarterback in such a unique position because it's, it's one of those places where, you are a leader, but you're a direct extension of the coach itself. Yes. Um, but the cool part about it, and one of the things that I really love, and the reason that I love solitude, but I need team more, mm -hmm. is because when you're guiding these guys and when you're leading them, you understand that each person 
it's different than the next. Yes. You know, cause I'm, I'm different than the next person, but when you're leading in that role and you're trying to maximize the, the, the level of play from your guys, you realize that the conversation is different with each particular mm-hmm. guy. And, you know, I wanted to understand because you were playing at a time where, you know, at Clemson, it was, it was very unique to do what you did. Yes. I mean, you're the first NCAA player ever to have 2000 yards pass and a thousand yards rushing. And you came in, I believe after Streeter. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you step into that approach and we're still in the South here and mm-hmm. you know, African-American quarterbacks are kind of just, yeah, you know, turning the hub. So right. was there any adversities or challenges that you faced when you first got to Clemson as well? Well, not when I got, I mean, it was, it was one of those things of, you know, you're talking about culture, I mean, coming from Andre Wilkinson with the, with the um, acronym being one white, right? you know, um, you still have those individuals in my city who would, you know, why are you going to a white school? And you, know, you go out there and people go, <laughs> and again, yeah. it's just one of those things that, you know, my mindset was so different. It's like, you know, people are just people. You know, I know some right, some right. black folks that ain't you know yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you know no, well absolutely. So um, it's 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 tough. Not and I, and I and I say this not to diminish what you know diminish the racism or the the cultural divides that exist in our country because they're due. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, controlling what I can control. So I'm not going to take an issue that happened with me with one. Um, one white person and put that on every white person. That was just that individual's choice. So, but getting back to any adversity that I felt, just one of those things of you're right. The black uh, the black athlete was not considered a an individual who could play the quarterback position yeah. because one they saw it as a cerebral position and didn't think right. that we could actually think on a level to actually be successful at that position. High school, yes, maybe in college, but definitely not in pro, because I think at that time, the only, and still to the fact, the only one, no, at that time, the only black quarterback, African-American quarterback that had won a Super Bowl was Doug Williams with the Washington mm. Redskins. Yeah. You know, so you had some good ones in there, and the guy who I actually patterned my game after, who I really looked up to while I wore the number one, was Warren Moon. And when he came out of school, he broke all kind of records sure. at Washington. But they didn't trust him, so they sent him over to the Canadian Canada. League. He had to prove himself over there. Didn't come back and had a luscious career. Now he's sitting in the Hall of Fame, and that was another highlight of my career, of my life, being able to meet him, yeah. you know, face-to-face talk and, you know, able to, you know, exchange, you know, texts every now and then. It's just one of those things. But, um, yeah, I even got a – and I also got a call – I got a, I just got a call from a university. I'm not going to name what it is, who they were, but – um. Came home. I don't know if I was somewhere, but I came home and had a message doing a whole recruiting pr- process. And I got a message on my on my answer machine. I said, "Hey, Woody, uh, hope you're doing well. You know, we like you at quarterback. But we want to try you at DB. <laughs> you know, <laughs> needless to say, I never called him back. But because I was on that at that moment, I was in that space of you know what I'm going to prove the naysayers right. wrong. So it just pushed me again with the work ethic that my high school coaches instilled in me. And you know, we were cutting edge in high school. We were the only ones doing shotgun for a while. See, I was and running spread. I was running spread time. in high school. Yeah. So, and, and it was a big transition to me because, you know, we're on the sideline. They signal to play. You know, what I'm calling is red four. You know, that's red. That's where we're going. And we already, offensive line already know what the protection was. So it was pretty simple. And, but when getting to school, uh, getting to Clemson, they had Steve Ensminger at the time. 
So he was the offensive coordinator. Tommy Bowden, head coach. No, Tommy West was the Tommy head coach. West. You was here with Tommy West, not Yes, Bowden. I came in with Tommy West. Gotcha. And he brought in Ensminger. And you talk about a culture shock as far as football. <laughs> because I'm going from simple red four, and I got the route combinations, and re- I read the defense. But then it came to – it was another level. And it really stretched me because now we're running actual pro-style sure. offense. West Coast language. Yeah, so, I mean, you got cover two, then we're going to work this side. If it's cover three, then we're going to work this side. Right. We got different route combinations. So, you know, I struggled. Honestly, I struggled in the beginning just to call the play. Yeah. Well, and that, one, and that's, a, that's a shock to your confidence. Right? Yeah, it's a shock to my confidence. But, you know, again, you know, Streeter was very instrumental in, in my development because he was a smart kid. And I had yeah. another guy. Um, oh, what is his name? Slade Nagel. He was just a whiz kid. His dad was a coach, and he ended up of he ended up leaving and going back and playing with his dad. But I mean, they really helped me a lot. And then when I came in, also uh, Nelon Green was there. Neilon. He was, I mean, he was he really took me under his wing and helped me out with learning everything. And so that was that was that was great for me. And I really spent a good thing. I got the red shirt, so it gave me time to sit learn and really understand and then once i got it i was like oh, you know what because i was it was you know failure was not an option for me yeah but um it worked out it worked out it gave me a little adversity just kind of switching over from what i'm used to doing in high school and in the college but then you know it worked out well it just gave me another challenge and i was able to overcome it and it worked very well well you know everybody talks about this this is famous game right mm-hmm. and it is the georgia tech game yeah. And uh, how really, what was the stats on that? You remember? Ah, uh, shoot. Good question. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously you, you, you took it on your shoulders. And obviously, you know, we got – it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there are heroic efforts from certain individuals. And obviously those were – that was one of those games. Uh, but for you, you know, especially in that situation at that time, it was – because I think Mike Vick was around that same time period that you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It wasn't a bunch of guys that were doing both of them. Yes. Uh, being able to run at a high level and throw at a high level. And so you finish up there, you go to the NFL, and you're with the Cowboys first? Cowboys first, yes. I remember, because when I was with the Jets, you know, uh, Coach Lynn, who is now the coach of the Chargers, asked me if I played. He was running back coach. He was uh-huh. like, hey, you play running back. And I was like, absolutely not, you know. <laughs> and looking back on it, I'm like, well, sh- Maybe I should have said it. Maybe I should have said I played Wedge Buster too or D Tack, whatever you need me to play <laughs> now. But you know, that from the language, uh, to the offensive structure, to to playing in the NFL and, and going playing for the Cowboys, um, that was a I mean, that's a change of pace too. But yet, you know, you still stepped into a position where you were able to be effective out there as well. You know, we can go to YouTube right now and I wish I had highlight already pulled up, but you know, really, really prominent uh, return. That went to the crib on that one. Yeah. And the moment that you stepped into that end zone with that NFL uniform on, what was those emotions and those feelings that went through your body? Honestly, I, I'm thinking back on it. I was, I think I was numb. Yeah. When it happened, it was just, it was just like a culmination of everything that I worked for. For sure. Because interestingly enough, I did not find out that I was going into the NFL draft as a running back until a week before the senior day. <laughs> I had already played in the East-West Shrine game yeah. where I played quarterback. And actually, it was an agent who was recruiting me. 
And they actually called me and said, hey, did you you know you're going into, they got you as a running back? I was like, and I had no clue because I hadn't signed with an agent yet. And it was just all new to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So what am I going to do? Now, now just backtracking a little bit, my my mindset was a lot different. Yeah. Because back in 1999, that's when I, I actually really committed my life to Christ for real, for real. And I had a different mindset. So I postured myself. My initial reaction was, I can't believe this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, you just, I just heard, you know, I just heard, heard God, you know, just speak to me to tell me, no, this is not about you anymore. Yeah. So, and I was like, okay. So, Hey, I called the guy who I had a good relationship with and decided and at that moment, asked him to be my agent and we talked through it and I told him I was going to do what they want to do. And he confirmed everything, talked back to me. And I said, you know, we're going to do it. So I had a week, you know, as working with Patrick Sapp, you know, cause he was working with my agent at the time. So out there trying to learn how to take handoffs and, you know, the worst brutal part was trying to catch punts and it was the absolute <laughs> worst. I made a darn fool of myself. Sky balls, man. I can only imagine, you know, yeah, dropping and, from the ceiling out there. But, um, it was something that, and I actually, I did fairly well in the senior bowl in, in a little bit of time that I had because, I, you know, it was fun. You know, I got to meet Derek Carr, who was there because mm-hmm. he he was coming out of Fresno State, I believe. So we, um, oh, I guess he had heard of me. So we were, they had a couple of routes out the backfield for me, showed him I could catch the ball, taking a handoff. Wasn't as bad as I thought. I figured out pretty, pretty well, pretty quickly and actually had a decent game. Yeah. So um, I just went into it like this is nothing. It's actually going to be easier because now I'm playing one position. I don't got to learn everything anymore. Yeah. You know, so taking that from the standpoint of quarterback mentality, playing running back, it was so much more easier because once I figured out just how to switch gears a little bit, but it was so much more easier for me. And then getting into getting into that first mini camp, yeah. feeling comfortable, learning the steps, and just the the nuances, you know. I'm sitting in the locker room with Emmett Smith. You know, we having a rookie camp, and Emmett Smith shows up and works the rookie camp with right. us. You know, and that just speaks to his his character, his credibility as far as, you know, I think he was 13 years in the league at the time, 13, 14 years, and he's at a rookie mini camp. You know, so and being able to learn from him and different other guys. Michael Wiley was there from Ohio State, you know, so I was able to learn some stuff from him. So it was just a neat process to be able to get out there and then show them what I can do and what made it so amazing is again, God had his hand on me the entire time. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the Georgia tech game, people talk about NC state and all these different games, you know, when you step on the field, um, actually somebody sent something to me cause you know, Clemson just played Virginia in the, in the ACC championship. Somebody yeah. sent me a clip about, you know, as a quarterback rushing for 220 yards <laughs> in a football game, you know, and not bragging on that stuff, but it just shows you God talks about, I will make your name great. And it wasn't a, a, a thing of bragging on me or, right. or setting me up, but God was giving me a name, giving me a platform and able to do his work. So taking it from the college realms into the the NFL, stepping on that field and being able to a couple of uh, scrimmages and preseason yeah. games and actually still making those wild plays. I remember we scrimmaged the Texans, simple route, um, I was a check down in the flat, QB threw me the ball, shook a guy right there, hit the sideline, and took it to the end zone. And I'm just routine for me. And then to go back over to the sideline, first person to greet me is Emmett Smith. And he yeah. said, Woody, where'd you get that speed from? And it's like, you know, I was like, that moment's like, you know what? I always knew I can play on this level, but now I, 
you have that confidence and it just took me on through. Well, and you could, you could look at it and say, well, I can't believe I'm not playing quarterback or you can look at how, well, how diverse you are, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that you, you can't do multiple things and not only in the football field, but in life in general. And that's where a lot of the guys struggle at as far as that transition, because right. their whole life, like, yeah, you, you understand that there's more capabilities. You understand that you are more than an athlete, but at the same time, that's all you've done. Right. And, you know, the really the whole thing is the mind shift or the focus from the idea that you mastered this over here and then realizing that if you've done that and you can master something else in your life as well. And, I, you know, again, you've had a huge impact on me. But the special part is, is you've also had a huge impact on Orangeburg as well mm-hmm. from that one kid who didn't know if he could do it and he saw that you did it. Right. And that becomes realistic to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I feel like that's the reason that I was able to achieve great heights is because I had players like you to look up to. I could tell people all the time I would be able to go to the gas station and run across, you know, this one guy who who played, you know, 10 years in league or this one guy who was All-American in college. And, you know, I had a teacher telling me that that's not realistic, but right. I see it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for you, even now, I mean, you go into the mall or you go to the store and, and people still come up to you. Um, but did you ever foresee yourself being that? Did you ever see yourself as that when you were growing up? Not at all. Actually, I don't see myself as that right now. Yeah. You know, I understand it, but it's still kind of, it's kind of like a, I don't know. It's like a, I don't even know the word for it right now, but it's kind of un, un, unrealizable for me, even though I realize that it is what it is, but it just, it just pushes me even more. Mm-hmm to continue to grow, to continue to expand, to continue to be available, right. you know, for individuals, because again, I can, as you mentioned, I, I can go back and look and see Warren Moon playing QB in the National Football League, which is spot, which pushed me to continue to pursue. Right. I'm seeing people do it because I'm looking at around me and I'm seeing crackheads and I'm seeing drug dealers and I'm seeing different things. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's wild. Because when people lose hope, you basically go into a abandoned society, if so what you would say, or or what what's another word for it? You go into like a Mad Max type of environment. <laughs> right. You know, I don't have a hope. So I mean, or even think about the book of Eli. You know, those people right. have no hope for nothing. You post, watch that post movie. apocalyptic. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. There's no hope. So it's basically I just gotta survive. So everybody goes into survival mode. And it's just that's the worst thing for someone to lose hope. And even when God was telling Abraham, you know, I'm going to give you a seed that is going to be great. And he's like, I'm this old and I can't. And so God had to give him a vision. So he told him to look at the stars, count the stars. He told him to look at the sands. You know, can you number the grains of sand on the ground? That's how your seeds will be. And he had to give him a vision. And so many people, we we've lost hope. And on top of that, we've lost. We have no vision. We have no vision at all to see past see past our current situations and you mentioned earlier people see this is my only choice yeah and that's what they accept and that's how they live and so just being that's one of the biggest things that's in my speaking i want people to to re-realize their visions see that they are more than where they are and they can be greater because everyone has that greatness in them but they have to make a choice to one recognize it and then they have to unlock it once they un- once they recognize it. And then from there, they got to walk in it. So now that's a choice. Well, and I was going to get into that a little bit as far as the speaking goes. You've been on the circuit for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Um, schools, businesses, uh, barbershops, barbershop talks. Um, 
And, you know, the the message that you share is what? You know, is it is it, is it one of hope? Is it one of, of motivation? Is it is it one of overcoming adversity? You know, what's the biggest thing that you're trying to push out or speak from? Because I don't want you to, to create something that doesn't exist. But if it's right. in you, it's in you. Right. And that's what comes out. And that becomes genuine and authentic. But, you know, what's the is there a specific message that you're teaching to particular people? Is it one common theme or what is it for you? You know, one of my, my biggest platform has been choice, letting people recognize that you have a choice in any situation. Yeah. And you, you, and only you can make that choice because you have to deal with the consequences, either good or bad. Right. But on top of that, the biggest choice is just the fact that people, I want people to realize how great they are. Yeah. Understanding that they are enough. You know, everyone's looking for someone. Yeah, granted, we do network with people to help us along the way, but we got to realize that we are enough. Mm. When we were created, everything that we needed to to accomplish the goals that was set by for us, that God had placed in us, we have it. You think about a PlayStation. Yeah. When you get the PlayStation, when it's complete and it's finished, you hook it up. It has everything inside of it to work like it's supposed to. So I know how to read the disc and collect online and do right. all these different features. It's already in there. And a lot of the features, like, you know, I don't do the online feature. I don't do all these different things. I don't use the headsets, but it's still there. And, it's, right. it, and a lot of people walk around never using the full capabilities that they've been created mm-hmm. with, you know. And, and that's the thing because they realize they don't think they have them, but they do. And just that's the biggest part of my message helping people realize the greatness that's inside them and pushing them to actually make a choice to let it out and walk in it. Well, when you said that, I had this conversation with a, with a friend of mine and we were talking about being made in, in God's image. And, you know, I, I always thought like that it was literally being made in his image physically. And mm-hmm. what it turned out is that, you know, God is a creator. Mm-hmm. He created us, but he also gave us the ability to create as mm-hmm. well. You know, we can we can make the circumstances around us as long as we depend on understand that he's with us throughout right. our journey. Mm-hmm. We can make our, our our decisions. You know, we can make our situation and circumstances work for us. Um, and so many times, like we forget that. You know, we think we're abandoned or we think we're, we're stuck, and mm-hmm. there's there's no out. Man, mm-hmm. we, we got an ability, man. Just this conversation right here, the things that we've been through. We got we got social media now, so we yes. can create that way. You know, we mm-hmm. we got you know kids that look up to us. This kid comes to me yesterday at a Mexican restaurant. He's like, "Hey, I saw you arm wrestle. I want to arm wrestle you." And he's like six years old, and that's awesome. And obviously, you know, he he won. Yeah, I had nothing for him, man. He had the strength of Hercules over there. But man, we got an opportunity to create and, and mm-hmm. really build something special every day, and not only in our lives, but the people that we're surrounded with on a day to day too, man. And that's what's been so special about this platform that we've been given. Right. Um, and, you know, going forward for you, you know, as you as you become more comfortable speaking, as, you, as you're raising your children, you know, are there certain things that that what's been the most because I don't have any kids yet, you know, yeah. but what's been the most special part about that? And what have been the challenges and, and what are the things that you hope for and wish for going forward to well, being a father is is the greatest the greatest opportunity, the greatest gift, the greatest role that you could ever have as a man. It really, it really, really, that's what we call God, our father. It really teaches you what true love, when your love really is. 
and how you can look at an individual and be responsible for them. And one thing that it does for me, it removes failure as an option. Right. Because now life is not just about me. It's about my two girls, you know, so if I don't get up and I don't study my material when I'm working and I don't mm-hmm. do well in these offices and get, you know, I could potentially lose my job. If I lose my job and now how are we going to pay for our house and cars and getting them what they need and feeding them. So that is not an option for me. So it really get, it really teaches you responsibility. And, you know, my wife as well, because I want her, you know, to have what she needs, has what she wants and be secure and safe you know, in the environment that I create. So if my, the environment that I create is unstable because I'm being selfish, I'm being lazy and I'm being all these characteristics that are not becoming of a, what a man should do for his yeah. family, then, then that's a, that's a huge problem. You know, I learned some years back when courageous first came out the movie courageous with, and I was watching and he made a statement and he said, you know, I choose to take full responsibility, you know, for my life, my the life of my family. And when you start talking about full responsibility, one thing, you know, we got to understand that when we talk about responsibility in my household or it may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I can't be with, I didn't do that. So I don't, I want to do it. No, it can't be that way. If it's happening in my house, what's my responsibility? I mean, I've caused it, but see, I look at it a different way, you know, because if something happens, even either I missed it, I didn't address it, or I caused it. One of those three. Mm-hmm. So when I look at it that way, all three of those point back to me. Right. So I didn't cause it. I didn't do anything about it, but you know what? I, I missed it. So something along the line, my daughter got upset. She did something. She had, you know, I must've missed something. I, I missed a teaching moment. I didn't, you know, really. So something that I missed, my wife is upset or bothered or my wife is not feeling what, you know, I missed something and she's, I missed something. So I have to, I have the responsibility to fix it. So, and that's, and that's what it really taught me being a husband and a father taught me responsibility. That's awesome, man. And what about fear? You know, I was, I was talking, I was riding with my mom uh, mm-hmm. to Atlanta. And I, I was like, you know, I had this long conversation with her about swimming, you mm-hmm. know, because I don't know how to swim. Right. And um, look, at this age, it's, I don't on, either. It, you good. it's on me, you know. Yeah, but, me too. I'm, I'm with you. We're in the same boat. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I, she'll, I'll go hunting. Mm-hmm. And she'll text me, like, hey, don't go out there in the woods. And the thing about fear is I wouldn't know to be afraid of those things if she wasn't afraid of them first. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so going forward, I mean, are there things that you're like, hey, you know, let me draw, let me pull back a little bit because she needs to experience this mm-hmm. to see if it if it if it scares her because right. it may scare me, but it may not for that particular person as well. You know, right, right. It's just no, and those those again, those little teachers moments I just mentioned, those are having conversations. Just like the other day, my daughter she's learning how to drive, and you know. She she she's got a little bit of experience driving, but not a lot. So she wanted to drive home, but it was raining, and I was like, "No." So she was a little bothered, but it was one of those things of it's not the fact that I mean you are feel for just a little bit because you fear for what could happen, but it's also the thing of she's not ready for that yet. Yeah. You think about you know I think T D Jakes was talking about 
you know, he's shaving and his kid comes up and says, hey, I want to shave too. And he's like, no, not yet. So this razor, it's a blessing because it can actually help him out, make him look good. Mm -hmm. But if you get something too early, it can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. So it's all in time and understanding that. And so that that's that's what those moments are. So you are fearful. But you can do one or two things with that when you're when you're afraid, either you know, you talk about the fight or flight right. mode. So when you get to a point of fear is either gonna make you run away or it's gonna make you hyper focus in and and allow you to go out and and do what's necessary. And you know, this is one of the things that I share often. Everyone talks about the accolades on the field and all things that I did and different things in my life. But many of them, no, no one would know that for years and even still to this day, slightly, you know, I struggle with insecurities. So you go out there on the field, you have a great game against Georgia Tech. Now I got NC State next week. You know, I'm game is over. We won about an hour and maybe hour, two, three hours later, I get home and I'm sitting down and now I start thinking about, oh, I got to try to do that again. I don't know if I can do that again. <laughs> yeah. The pressure's on. So you, all the things going it. through your mind. So with me, what that did, those insecurities, instead of allowing them to push me in the wrong direction, it pushed me to really get in the film room. It pushed me to really be hyper-focused on my conditioning. It pushed me to really make sure that um, I'm working on my passing motion and different things, you know, throwing the ball, throwing these different routes. So when it comes time to the game, I can execute. But that's the thing with fear. You you can't you can't be fearful of fear. For sure. You got to welcome it. And as I say, the definition, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the the presence of fear, you know, with the with the oomph to continue to go on. Yeah. And that's what people, a lot of people, people get to fear and they turn and go the other way. Yeah. But you got to take that fear and allow it to use it to focus you in, to allow you to, to, to achieve your goals. And that's what it's about. And I just had this visualization of, of a guy on a football field and, one, I, he's afraid to the point where he freezes up and his helmet gets knocked off, man, he doesn't move at all. Or he's so afraid that he doesn't want to get tackled. And he just, you know, hits 19 juke moves to get to the end zone and he scores. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> and that's another moment. Yeah. That's, the, that's the thing with me. I don't like getting hit. I didn't like contact. Oh, I can say maybe in my entire career I've taken two hard hits, two just bam. <laughs> you you can remember them? Yeah, and they in the same game by the same person. Uh, and actually, a former teammate, Keith Adams, I was Dallas Cowboys. He was with the Eagles. Oh He's on kickoff squad. I was kick return. Right. And just never saw him. First time, he made me fumble. Second time, I thought I broke my arm. So, I mean, just one of those things of, you know, it's the only time. But it's just, again, going back to martial arts, I had so much control over my body right. to where even though, you know, guys didn't hit me, they tackled me. Because if you coming in trying to knock me out, you're going to miss me. Right. But most of you know, it grabbed me. So I know how to take my body and absorb the hit, roll with the hit. So I'm not taking all of the energy. You think about a parkour person, mm -hmm. you know, you see all the stuff that they're doing. How can you jump from that high building? But it's all about body control and taking the energy and allowing it to move with you. So a lot of that I learned in martial arts. So I never took a real hit. I got tackled. I didn't get hit. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, take the blow, you absorb it, you roll yeah. with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it's a lot like life though. Yeah. You know, it, you go, you literally, you can, you can fight it. And it mm -hmm. could it could cripple you. Yes, you could roll with it, mm -hmm. and you know lessen the blow. Right. And you know I, I'm starting to try to figure out for me what it is that I do in my routine. 
You know, that's a, a big thing that I'm trying to learn and grow in is my routine on the day to day. But I do want you to share, you know, what your thought process is. I mean, as soon as your eyes open and what it looks like for you to have a quote unquote successful day. Yeah. So actually what I've been doing here lately, this is not nothing new, but before I used to just get up and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. But now, even as I wind down in the evening, I begin to think about the next day, you know, yeah. kind of do a recap of the day. Mm-hmm. What is it that I wanted to accomplish this day? What did I get accomplished? You know, what can move over to the next day that I missed possibly? And then when I get up the next day, I, you know, think through the day. So I know I'm going to see certain amount of doctors today. So I'm thinking through what messaging that I want to do, what needs to be done around the house. You know, what did, I, what did my wife tell me yesterday? You know, what do my kids need for the day? Do they need lunch money? Do they? So I'm thinking through the entire day as detailed as I possibly can. If there's something I need to write down, I'll write it down. But for the most part, I'm just going over in my mind the, the day so I don't um, so I don't miss anything. So now I have a map of, of my day. And I allow that and I just stay on that course. Now you're going to have deviations. So again, you think about, again, you, you prepare for the defense. So now you prepare about some of the different things that they can do. So what if they do, I'm expecting this to happen, but if they do this, what am I going to do? Right. So, you know, those are the, you just going through your day, really being, and that's the new word that I've been really, really harping on is intentionality. You have to be intentional about it. So we're intentional about so many other things that we don't even take second thought to. But the things that are really important, we're not that intentional on. So that's why we don't reach our goals. That's why we don't make our mark. That's why we don't get to where we see ourselves or where we want to be because we're not intentional about doing the things that it takes to get there. And that's where a lot of people lose. Everybody wants success. Everybody wants to reach their goals. Everybody wants all these great things, but nobody wants to deal with the process. Yeah. You think about so many people quit sports because they don't like practice. And that's that's where you get everything done. The process is what the process is. And not everybody is built for the process. Well, I'll take that back. Everybody is built for the process, but not everyone is willing to go through the process. No, no. Cause you gotta endure it, you know? Yeah. It's a and it's it's so crazy because I'm looking I'm looking at this book about Seneca, you know, or Procrustes, mm-hmm. or yeah, I can read all these old philosophy books too. Mm-hmm. And it's the same conversation that's been yes. going on for centuries, you know, centuries, exactly. and that's the, the, the human growth, right? That's the human mm-hmm. development. And, you know, you can let things happen to you. You can let them happen for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never want nothing to mean nothing, you know, like when right. I, I was in the packaging business for a year and I was like, okay, like, I know I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to give them a year, though, because I do want to do 12 months. And when I knew I was getting out of there like eight months into it, I was like, well, am I going to let these last four months be in vain? Or am I going to take this and roll this into something uh, from this experience that's going to lead to the next one? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's the same way with the day. You know, we reflect on the little wins of the day, yeah. but we also look at the losses, too, yeah. and figure out how to combat those or what. I could do to separate myself from that the next day. Cause you're going to, I mean, this, this just going to happen naturally. Right. It's going to be wins. There's going to be losses, but the way we reality, the way we rally, recover, uh, respond. I mean, those are the important things going forward too, man. Um, and I, I do, you know, I, I sincerely see them in you, uh, in your everyday walk too, man. So yeah. 
thankful for that. But just on that note, which you just mentioned, you know, I heard it said this way, you know, we don't take losses. We just get learning experience. True statement. Yeah. We get learning experience. So everything, when we look, as you say, when you reflect back, so I'm looking back over my day, you know, even with something with my daughter or with my wife, you know, oh, I should have did this. Mm -hmm. I did that and that. So it's not always the focus on. So I I take myself first and and look at my role in, in whatever the situation is and try to except you know the fact that hey i just made a mistake there oh i misinterpreted or i did so now i have to go back and correct that so now next time it happens i'm able to respond differently and make sure i'm responding correctly or as correct as possible for that situation in order to get the best out of it so everything is a learning experience even the wins Mm -hmm. you know when you win you know what did i do to win oh could i if I would have done this too, I could have, you know, I could have done even better, right. you know? So everything is a learning opportunity when you look at it that way. Well, and, and it really like for me, like the wins, sometimes like they'll happen and I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah. And it just pisses you off. Cause you're like, cause you weren't mindful of it, you know? Right, right, right. You just did it and it's just happening. You're like, oh man, how can I duplicate that? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's, for me, it's, it's that too. It's being present, man. And, and being focused on what I'm focused on at that particular time. And, and not just letting it pass me because I think my, I don't regret anything because everything that, that happened led up to this moment right yes, here. Exactly. Um, but if I could, I tell these guys all the time, especially the young guys playing um, that I have a conversation with, it's like, man, don't, don't just let it happen. You know, mm-hmm. really be there, really enjoy it. Um, you don't get it back, but you can forget it and right. you'll miss it. And you'll look back and say, Hey, I just went on autopilot. For yeah, three or four months, and those and those works because you don't get you don't. One thing we don't get back that everybody wishes we could is time, mm-hmm. and that's a piece of it. Yeah, because you got you think about that seed, you know, mm-hmm. seed in the ground. You know, you won't see the blossom of that seed until the roots go down first. But then also you got to think about that seed. If it, the seed doesn't get what it's supposed to get, the nutrients, the water, and whatever the sun, the different things that it need to begin to grow, then that seed is going to stay in that same state. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with us. When we're in a when we're in our process, if we're not getting what we're supposed to get out of that process, we're gonna stay in that process a lot longer than we're supposed to, rather than being mindful of where we're at, what we're looking to accomplish, and actually getting out what we need in that process in order to move to the next phase. But so many people get stuck in the same process or in the same phase of their lives because they're not being intentional. Mm-hmm. And as you said, they're not being present in the process. So they're missing things that they need to advance them outside of the process so if i'm in the, in the classroom and i'm learning i'm trying to get my degree in marketing and i'm in the classroom where i got to pass this test if i'm in the classroom but i'm not paying attention to the lecturer or the teacher or the professor i'm not getting the information i need to pass that test so i'm going to be in that class for a while hmm. if i don't get the information so that's what it's about like you mentioned being present getting the information and actually using it to to um to excel because that's another big push that i'm on now education you know our educational system is one of memorization and not and not learning so these kids memorize information to to pass a test but it's never something that they learn and are able to apply so it's you know i'm taking steps working with school district and you know the state legislators and different people of that nature to to figure out because it's not once it gets to the schools, then it's already policy. Yeah. So you got to work with the, the, the school district, you know, the board of trustees, and you know the people from down in Columbia who are making these policies are getting them from you know the um, 
from DC and how it all trickles down to figure out how to be most impactful on these policies and make sure that our kids are getting what they need because right now, you know, we're, we're, we're failing them when it comes to education and we're not really allowing them to be the best that they can possibly mm. be because we're not putting them in a good situation. Now we got some, you know, you got some teachers that are, are great in any profession. You got, we got some great right. teachers around here, but sometimes their hands are tied with what they can do and what they can't do. And, you know, you, one of the things of is really giving the kids a great balance, you know, understanding their social economical situation and being able to speak to them that way. Yeah. And that gets rough because you got a smart kid, but this kid, all he sees is this, this, and this, you know, you got to have someone there to be able to speak into that kid to get them to see the light. Cause a lot of them don't see the light. So as smart as they are, they're just in the classroom and just, they have no hope. So they're just there as just existing, going through the motions. And that's a tough job. I don't understand why teachers don't get paid more. I'm grateful True statement. Yeah. that they just got a, a pay raise here in South Carolina. That was huge, but I mean, I saw this picture of um of a hand, and it had all these different uh, careers on it. Yeah, and it's basically it was talking about the hand of a teacher. You know, the teacher is is who allows these individuals to be able to grow into all these different professions and careers and different things. But you know, they are the ones that are are least least focused on when it comes to to um compensation when it comes to resources when it comes because you think about a teacher a burnt out teacher is not going to be as effective in the classroom as one who's rejuvenated feel like they have support and able to yeah. really come out so it's just so many different facets to our educational system that really has my focus because you know we talk about the children are our future but then the question by behind that you know who's training and teaching our future so that's where I really want to get instrumental in and, and helping helping that push for our young people. Well, that's part of your legacy too, right there, man. The fact that you're cognizant of that and, re- and realize that, I mean, that's special. And I'm sure that the, the teachers and the, the faculty and, and everybody in the administration appreciates that too. Yeah. Um, because they, I mean, there are certain teachers who, who didn't just go through the motions when I was growing up. Right. Um, and I remember those teachers mm-hmm. and, you know, I can't sit there and, and put blame on the teachers who don't want to, to do the extra because mm-hmm. they're not getting paid for They're not getting paid what they should be, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard because some teachers go in and they legitimately give everything they got. And then someone's like, well, I'm giving you everything I got, but I'm not getting anything in return. But mm-hmm. I promise, I always tell teachers when I go speak to the schools, I promise if you put in the effort, those kids remember that forever. Yes. It, it may not, it may not, but you may not think it. that it, it makes sense for them right now. You might not see, but I'm telling you, those rewards are out there. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I'm I'm part of that. You know, that's the reason uh, that you know education is so vital and it's so important, and habits are so important. Mm-hmm. You know, I growing up felt like I was able to do enough to get by. That was me um, and you know, I look back on it, and if I were to develop certain characteristics or habits, or just the the, the understanding and the learning of how to study and, yes. and what that entails and what it looks like, mm-hmm. then that would have helped my progression move a little bit faster as well. So now I'm having to go back mm-hmm. and go back to the basics yeah. <laughs> and force myself to understand yeah. the habits of studying. You know? Yeah. My daughter come home with her homework and she's showing it to me and I'm like, mm, you might want to go talk to your mom with that one. I'm going to talk to your sister, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> kind of help with a can, but you know, some of that stuff, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's the eye opening thing. But then it gives me an opportunity to go back again. I'll For go sure. to YouTube and I'll sit down with her 
and I'll have her teach it back to me. So now I'm learning, you know, along with her. And it's a process that we take together. So every every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. And that's what I look at it as. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you, man. Uh, I'm excited for people to hear this, really, you know. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, it's, it's really simple. Um, I, I have my, my, my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Woodrow Dancer the Third is on Facebook. Uh, I actually have two. The personal page is going away soon, but I'll still have my business page up. But they're both under the same name, so you can find me there on Instagram, Woody Dancer the Third, um, on Instagram. But I'm also on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. If you have any inquiries, you can find me easily at one of those three locations, or you can also email me at info at dancer three dot com, which is dancer D A N. T Z L E R I I I dot com. Woodrow at Dancer Three dot com. That's awesome. I'm sorry, I messed that up. I'm sorry. I said info. Yeah. Info. That's my other email address, but it's info. So I N F O at Dancer Three dot com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, look, I appreciate you, man. I'm looking yes, forward to you continue to to impact uh, your community and people because obviously that is a ripple effect, and and we don't we don't know how that one person that we had a conversation with with that leads to going forward. So. Right. Very, very vital and, and important that we continue to do that. So it's, it's also been it's been awesome to watch you grow and, and see your progression and see what you're doing with your platform. And I just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because I promise you, you are affecting individuals. Right. I even got a, a, a one of my guy. He actually lives in my neighborhood, goes to school with my daughter, and he's still talking about the Taj Boyd football camp from about <laughs> four years ago. Well, you're the star of that right there too. Man. <laughs> But it was just one of those things, though, man. You like you mentioned, you never know the impact, you know, just by you coming by and you just talking or the way that you you arm wrestled that kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just it's the little things that we we take for granted, you know, are huge to our young kids. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Absolutely, big guy. Well, look, once we get this video working, we'll figure this out. We'll recap and do some other stuff. But yes, sir. You know, obviously, he told you where to reach him at. Um, I would advise you to do that if you're looking for any speakers or somebody to come by and really impart some wisdom or some of their experiences. Boy, he's the guy. So thank you for being on the Taj Boy Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, make sure you subscribe. Trying to get these numbers up. Appreciate you. Yeah.